Thank you, Jordan, and thank you for being here this morning. It's a beautiful day. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be together. We are so thankful for such a beautiful day, the sunshine, and we hope and pray that spring will be here before you know it, or before we know it, and so we're very grateful for all the blessings that we enjoy. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2, the passage read a moment ago, verses 11 and following, Titus chapter 2. Our study today, God's amazing grace. Where would we be without the grace of God? How grateful we ought to be for His amazing grace. Now we typically define grace as the unmerited favor of God. God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Our salvation is a result of His amazing grace. In light of that, I want to talk for a moment or two about what Paul said, accentuating the tremendous grace that we enjoy in Christ or through Christ. There's some things that I think help us to better understand God's amazing grace. And in verses 11 and following, Paul accentuates some of the components of grace. Number one, God's grace liberates us. Listen to what Paul said again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. Number one, the source of grace. Well, the source of all grace is the Lord, isn't it? Listen again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. God's grace is not merely a New Testament concept, but rather that silver thread runs throughout every dispensation of time. You go back and you look at what occurred in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they enjoyed God's amazing grace. When the Bible says of Noah in the long ago, that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord in contrast to people whose lives were soiled by evil. And then, of course, in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, the giving of the Passover, the deliverance of the children of Israel, all of that a result of God's amazing grace. In Numbers chapter 21, you remember the people murmured and complained and spoke against the Lord and Moses. And the record, the record tells us that God sent fiery serpents among the people and bit many of the people of Israel. Many of those people died and they cried for deliverance. They were saved as a result of God's amazing grace. In the New Testament, Paul is a tremendous character study. Paul knew something about God's grace. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he reminded Timothy of the fact that he had formerly been a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent man. He was an arrogant haughty individual throwing his weight around, 
seeking to destroy those who were followers of the way. And yet he said, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul knew something about God's amazing grace. Today we are saved by grace because of God. The fact that He loved us, sent His Son to die in our stead. I like the words of Paul. We looked at this last week in our study, Ephesians 2. When Paul said in the long ago, But God, who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. He said, By grace are you saved. And then you remember He said, He's raised us up together with Him, made us sit together in the heavenly places, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast or glory. So we think about the source of grace. But what about the scope of grace? To understand that God's grace is available to all. Listen again to what Paul said. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man. No one is exempt. No one is excluded from God's amazing grace. Now, you know, we oftentimes cite the golden text of the Bible. It is golden for a number of reasons. But to understand that Jesus accentuates something about God in heaven, His great love. For God so loved the world, that's inclusive of everyone. If you are here today to understand that God sent His Son Jesus to die for you. You know, the Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth in 1 Timothy 2 at verse 4. Peter tells us that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So God wants all men to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. Why? Because He loves us. Because He is interested in our plight here on planet Earth. When Jesus began His earthly ministry, He pointed people in the direction of the coming of a kingdom, a spiritual entity or institution. But you remember Jesus would say on one occasion, Come unto me, all you that labor. The invitation is open to all. John closes the book of Revelation by saying, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires to taste of the water of life freely. God's amazing grace. But then secondly, God's grace not only liberates us, but God's grace educates us. Again, Paul said, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. Now listen to him. Instructing us or teaching us. 
Number one, to understand something about the accompaniment of God's amazing grace. Whenever you read in Scripture about God's amazing grace, you will see that it is always connected to divine teaching or instruction. Nowhere do you ever read of God's grace being lavished upon people without divine instruction on how to access it. Just by way of example, in Genesis chapter 6, when God said that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually, in contrast to that, God said of Noah that he found grace in his eyes. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, blameless, we might say. And the Bible says that Noah walked with God. Instructions given relative to the building of, of an ark for the purpose of saving his household. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, the Bible says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Noah enjoyed the benefits and blessings of God's grace. God had specifically instructed him what to do to appropriate that grace. So what about us today? How do we access the marvelous, matchless grace of God? You know, the Bible tells us that salvation is located in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10, Paul said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now back in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul identifies God's grace. And he said that that grace is found in Christ. So again, the question we're asking, if God's grace has been made available, and it has, if God desires all men to be saved, and He does, well then how do we access that grace? Listen again to what Paul said in Ephesians 2. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now compare that to Romans chapter 5. Back in Romans chapter 5, Paul said in verse 20, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But he prefaced that back in verse 1 by saying, Therefore, being justified by God, or justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, wherein we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What was it Paul was saying there? That we access grace by faith. Now there is the system of faith that produces individual faith. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So I've got to know what God says in order for me to develop faith in Him. I've got to know who He is 
I've got to know what His will for my life is. I've got to understand something about His ways. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. I take that faith and I respond with trust and obedience. Let me illustrate it like this. Back in Numbers 21, when God sent fiery serpents among the people, they were around Mount Hor, which was close to the land of Edom. Those fiery serpents were biting people, and many, many people were dying. And they cried to Moses that he would pray to the Lord for them, and he did so. And God then instructed Moses in the long ago to make a fiery serpent, to place that serpent on a pole. And he said, whenever someone is bitten, when they look at it, what will happen? They'll live. So the record says that Moses makes this serpent of brass. And then when someone happened to be bitten, if they wanted to enjoy physical life, continue on in this world, God said they have to look at that serpent of brass and in so doing, what's going to happen? They'll live. Now, that was not just faith only, but they had to trust that what God said was the remedy for that snake bite. So when I obey the gospel, I have to trust that what God has said about the benefits and blessings of His Son's blood, I've got to believe that that is true. That when I obey the gospel, that God is going to take the blood of His Son and apply that to my soul. In 1 Peter chapter 1, you remember Peter talks about how we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Down in verse 22, he said, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, under genuine love of the brethren, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. What's Peter saying there? I can take the teaching of the Spirit, I can understand that when I obey the gospel, that that precious blood, that redeeming blood, is going to be applied to my heart and I will enjoy what? Cleansing. The purification of sin. Well, what then do I have to do to enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus? I mentioned Saul of Tarsus a minute ago, Paul. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, listen to him, of whom I am chief. Did Paul know something about sin? You better believe it. Did Paul realize that those who are outside of Christ, they're without hope and without God? Yes. Yes. What then is the difference Ephesians 2.13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. So when Saul of Tarsus 
after having prayed and fasted for three days, when Ananias came to him, Ananias said, And now, what are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Are you saying then that the water is what washes away our sins? Not at all. But rather, I trust in the promises of God. And God has instructed me to be immersed in water because it is at that juncture that I contact the cleansing power of the blood. That blood is then applied to my heart. And I enjoy what? Forgiveness. You remember in Colossians chapter 2 when Paul talks about that circumcision made without hands? In verse 12, he talks about being buried with Christ in baptism. And those who were dead in their sins by the uncircumcision of their flesh. But down in verse 13, he said that those who had obeyed the gospel, that all of their sins had been forgiven. So I have to learn to trust that when I obey the gospel, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, repent of my sins, confess His name, and then am immersed in water, that I contact that blood and that God will do what He promised to do. And what was that? Forgive me of sins. Nothing magical about that water, but rather I am simply in compliance to the teaching of God. Again, go back and look at Numbers 21. What medicinal purpose do you think a serpent of brass had on those people in that day who were bitten was there anything medicinal about that fiery serpent? No. What then is the correlation? The correlation is God said, I want you to make that serpent of brass. Those who are bitten, when they look at it, what's going to happen? They're going to live. So they had to trust that what God said He would do, He would do. Just like when we obey the gospel, We've got to have trust that God will apply the blood of His Son to our heart. I'm not earning my salvation. I'm not meriting my salvation in doing that. No, I'm simply complying with the terms or conditions of pardon. Again, go back, look at Genesis chapter 6, Noah Noah moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah enjoyed God's grace, absolutely. Law was given, instruction was given. Okay, Noah, you want to save your family from the flood? Here's what you have to do. You've got to build an ark. Nothing different. God's grace always accompanied by what? By divine teaching. So the grace of God, number one, it liberates us. Number two, the grace of God educates us. And number three, God's grace regulates us. I do not believe for one minute that the Bible teaches cheap grace. Don't believe that at all. 
When you come to understand what God has done for us through His Son, and the fact that Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins, then you come to understand something about the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, and His grace. But there are some parameters related to the grace of God. So here it is. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, teaching us, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen to him. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. So what about the parameters of God's grace? When we obey the gospel of Christ, Divine teaching is such that we have severed ourselves from the world. We're not to be entrapped by the world. We don't want to be entangled by the world. And we cannot use God's grace as a license to just live as we please. Well, why? Well, the reason is because we died to that way of life. Remember in Colossians 3, when Paul said, If you are risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your affection on things above and not on things which are on this earth. Now look at verse 3. For Christ, or rather he said, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ who is our life. Paul said, look, you died. That old way of life, that's over. Why? Because the Lord redeemed you. You belong to Him now. In Romans chapter 6, when Paul had made the case back in chapter 5, where grace abounds, sin abounds much more. In chapter 6, he asked the question, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In a very emphatic way, Paul said, God forbid. Certainly not. Why? How shall we who have died to sin live any longer therein? Well, when did you die to sin? When you obeyed the gospel? Well, what then prompted you to die to sin? To enjoy the benefits and blessings of the blood of Jesus? You see, in verse 3, he said, Know you not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For he that is dead is freed from sin, as Paul would say in Romans 6. So the idea is that that's not who you are anymore. You respect the boundaries of God's grace. God's grace blesses us. Look, we have to have the grace of God to be saved as an alien sinner. But we need God's grace once we become a child of God. 
So what about the provisions of God's grace to those of us who are Christian? Well, Paul just said, look, God's grace has appeared bringing salvation to everyone. And God's grace teaches us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. In other words, we're different. We're distinct. If someone cannot see Christ living in us, something's wrong. Something is amiss. And yet, Paul would say in Colossians 3.3 that we are dead. We're dead and hidden in Christ with God. All right? That being the case, my desire is to walk in cadence with the teaching of the Lord. You remember what the Bible said about Noah back in the book of Hebrews chapter 11? That he became the heir of righteousness by faith? Here's what the Bible says. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, what does it do? Cleanses us from all sin. So what happens if I stumble? What happens if in a weakened moment I fall short of God's expectations? Well, here it is. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you mean to say that as a child of God, as somebody who has appropriate the benefit, appropriated the benefits and blessings of the blood of Jesus, that I need His grace daily? That's exactly right. When John said, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's grace. That's grace. To know that I enjoy the benefits of the blood of Christ. And listen, that means I am trusting, not in myself, but I am trusting that what God said His Son's blood would do, that it'll do just that. And what is that? Keep me clean, purified, just, so that when I leave this world and I stand before God on the day of judgment, I can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And again, what's the basis of my salvation? It's the blood of Jesus. The song that we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can't separate the blood of Jesus from the grace of God. That's what John's saying in 1 John chapter 1. We are the beneficiaries of a loving God. When Paul said in Ephesians 2, that he might show in the ages to come, listen to him, the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When Paul reflected on the grace of God, do you remember what he said in Ephesians 1 verse 6? To the praise of the glory of His grace, 
wherein He has made us accepted, where? In the Beloved, in Christ. And because we're in that kind of a relationship, Paul would say it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. God's amazing grace. How grateful we ought to be. So my question to you today, are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? Well, what would you need to do? You've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. But then to take that faith and then to respond with an obedient heart, as Peter talked about in 1 Peter 1.22. As Paul would say in Romans 6, obeying from the heart that form of doctrine. So I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. I repent of my sins. I then confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart. Well, what's that? That Jesus is the Son of God. I am then buried with Christ in baptism. It is at that juncture, as Paul said, that all my sins are washed away, forgiven. If you're here today and you are not a child of God, that's how you become a Christian. My encouragement to you today would be don't leave here without having obeyed the benefits and blessings of Christ and His death. If you're here and you're, maybe you need the prayers of the church, it might be the case that your life is out of kilter with God and you want to get back in fellowship with Him and you want the prayers of the church. Well, James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we do that with you and for you today as we stand and sing?